Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is Greg Nielsen, President and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting. Um, welcome back. I know we've taken a little bit of a break from the podcast, but I'm thrilled to be back today. Um, and today I'm joined by a friend of mine, Janiel Ford. Janiel is the President of Affordable Fundraising. Um, and our topic is going to be around grants, which is a, always a popular topic for nonprofits, many nonprofits um, wrestling with grant writing, wrestling with obtaining um, funding through grants. Janiel and I first met um, a little over, it was about a year ago, um, at the Board Source Certification for Nonprofit Consultants. So we were in Kansas City together for several days um, and learning about um, Board Source techniques and Board Source resources for building a board uh, and have remained connected since then. Janiel, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Greg. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the invite, and I'm excited to talk more. Well, I appreciate you joining us and certainly lending your experience when it comes to grants and grant writing for nonprofits. Maybe tell us a little bit about your background and what you do currently to, to help nonprofit organizations. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of an old dog in nonprofits. I've been doing uh, this for about 20 years, uh, um, primarily in the area of fundraising. So I have served in uh, several different uh, human services is definitely the emphasis of uh, where I have my background. Um, I, uh, I started my business about five years ago and provide uh, grant writing, fundraising, consulting, and uh, training and education. And um, I really love fundraising. I'm <laughs> <laughs> cut from a different cloth. I, I really love it. I love working with nonprofit leaders. I'm kind of a lifer, um, and so it's it's great. So, do you work with nonprofits then? Um, I guess on a contract basis, when they're looking to to enhance some of their grant writing efforts. Yeah. So, when uh, with grant writing, uh, I I'm looking for a ring on my finger. Actually, I we become part of their team, um, and so we will. Um, go, it, it takes a lot to sort of learn the message and really represent the mission message of organizations. And so I look for longer term agreements um, on the grant writing. If, if it's a government grant um, and they're fluent, they're already fluent in receiving government funds, I'll do that on a project basis. Uh, but otherwise, you know, we kind of become part of their team. And, um, you know, the nonprofits that are hiring, hiring me, they're either they're either experiencing some changes in their staffing uh, and they're looking for a ch to do to make a change or they are growing and they need some additional support in the grant area. So for and I see this as a, as a growing trend in the sector, more and more nonprofit leaders and organizations looking to professionalize um, their grant writing efforts and looking to obviously grow the, the funding that they receive from grants. What do you recommend? for nonprofit leaders who are considering this and evaluating potential partners. You mentioned a ring on your finger. What are some of the thoughts that they should have in mind as they, as they weigh whether to do this in-house or whether to work with someone external to the organization? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, so if you're new in the game of grants and let's say grants are, grants are a good option for organizations who have a few years uh, experience so this isn't so grants are not a great option for startups so you have to have a few years of your program you have to have a program in place you have to have income from other sources 
grant makers are looking to invest in organizations who are already achieving a little bit of success and they want to grow that. Uh, they want to make sure that you're going to be around. And so um, to get ready for, and the nature of grants is it's always restricted. And so it requires some systems inside to sort of help you manage through some of that. And so, um, so to get ready for grants, if you're, let you, let's say you've been around for a couple of years, you have income coming in from a few sources, and you're ready to dip your toe in the world of grants. Uh, I, you know, I actually will work with um, organizations to help them get grant ready. And uh, one of the things I do is I help, I help them flush out their message. I'll come in and do a case for support. Um, you're, uh, my my uh, goal is to create a clear, concise, and compelling message that I can use to sort of help uh, get in front of uh, grant makers. There's there's really only seven to ten questions that grant makers will ask, and and the case statement I have found I flush out all the answers to those, and so then you have um, the content that you need to help support completing the applications. Um, but it's not, so you send the application out, it takes you know anywhere from 30 to 90 days to get a decision, let's say the check comes in. Uh, if it's restricted for a particular purpose, you have to have the systems inside the organization to sort of help you track it. Um, and so having a solid submission schedule and a kind of an internal system to sort of help you manage uh, the applications that you're sending out and you know, just that time period where you're waiting for them, and then what happens when the money comes in. Um, I'm sort of helping the charity with, with sort of navigate and figure out all of those things. One of the things that you mentioned is the is the case for support, um, and that's that's something that as I work with a lot of nonprofit boards nationally, and I ask them um, when we're talking about a culture of philanthropy, I ask them for their case of case for support, many don't have that. So if maybe you can talk a little bit about what are some of the elements that go into a nonprofit organization's developing a case for support, and what benefits does that have for them, not only on the grant side, but on the fundraising generally? Yeah, if you want to raise more money, <laughs> if you want to raise more money, you have got to have a clear, concise, and compelling message. Uh, you, you know, I try to, when I put together case statements, I try to Think about evoking an emotional reaction with facts. It, uh, you know, oftentimes I find leaders they think that their need is the need for money, <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. and while that consumes them all day, like how am I going to keep my lights on? That if you lead with that out in the community, it's just always going to fall flat. I need money too. <laughs> I, I was just talking with a board um, yesterday, as a matter of fact, and I, I asked them that question of why they you know, they were telling me they needed to raise more money, and and I kept probing why. Um, and at the end, I had to tell them it, we need more is not a compelling fundraising strategy. Mm -hmm. um, that's not a compelling why. It's so that you can do what. How, you know, what does the additional, what do the additional resources do for you? So yeah, and, uh, and I hear you. So as I put together the case statement, I, I mean, really understanding what the size and scope of the unmet need is in the community is a really important message to be able to convey. So 
you know, we, you know, the unmet need is there's, you know, 10,000 people in the community who are homeless or whatever that is. And we're serving 1500 and we have this solution and this is, we've been doing this for years. We know what it takes to end this situation. And, and here's what we're doing to move towards serving more of this, these 10,000 people. And let me tell you what's going on with these 10,000 people and what the situation is with them and why we need to address this issue, why it's costing society, why it's, you know, deteriorating life, you know, you know, whatever those, those needs are to be able to say that, um, if, if, if you're the person you're talking to has a heart connection with that cause, they will be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is going on in our community. What can we do about it? And then it's easy. Then you just say, well, here's how we're addressing it. And here are the things that we need most, you know, it, it becomes easy at that point. Um, but if you lead with, man, we just really need to, you know, we just really need money. <laughs> <laughs> we have a hole in our budget. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think that that's one of the reasons I like the case for support so much is that, as you said, it's concise. It's brief. Um, you know, I, I've certainly been guilty of this in the past myself, but sometimes as nonprofit leaders, when we're so attached to the mission and have so much passion for the cause, we want to download everything that is in our head and in our heart to a potential donor, to a potential grant maker. Um, and we want to give every last detail that we have. Um, and I think the case for support, what that does is it captures all of the highlights, all of the really important pieces um, without overloading the, the receiver with too much information. Yeah, yeah. And I would argue that we need to listen more than we speak. And uh, I know we get excited. Sometimes, you know, you get excited about the work. And so when you just can talk about it all day long, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you know, it's a passion when you lose hours and you just can talk or you lose time when you're talking about it. And I think that that's pretty common <laughs> among nonprofit leaders. But I have I have always had a standard of like a, it, when meeting with a donor, uh, the measure of success is how much did I talk and how much did I listen? I, I like to use that as a measure. That, that's phenomenal. And I think that that goes equally well for board members too. I think, you know, when you're working with boards and talking to them about their role in fundraising, um, it's just as important to train them and to teach them the importance of listening as it is to teach them to deliver a particular um, message as, as ambassadors of the organization. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, for sure. For sure. Yeah. The case statements um, are really a, a really great tool to just distill down the message and it takes it takes a bit and I'm um, it's I'm always surprised I'm you know when we go in and we do these statements it takes it's it's a little bit of heavy lifting to sort of get to the end of it but wow it, the, the, the difference if you can train your board and your staff in these you know I, I distill it down to five key messages and if they can sort of go out in the community and just say those messages you'll just have them you'll just create much greater momentum around your fundraising so i was on your website earlier and i noticed that you offer something called a grant readiness quiz tell me more about that oh yeah my grant ready quiz and this is this is kind of a fun quiz that just will ask some you know 
relatively easy, well, for I guess for me, <laughs> easy questions around grants, like what's the what's the average length of time that you will get a decision? You know, some most often, you know, it's it's going to be between anywhere from sixty to ninety to six months sometimes. You know, before you get a decision, um, and it's really just a fun quiz to just test you to see how far or what your knowledge is. And at the end of it, you'll get a, an email and uh, each question I sort of go point by point sort of explaining, you know, what the answer is and why. And so it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of fun and it's also educational and will help you give you some tips on, on how to, uh, what you need to be thinking about to be grant ready. So for an organization, for a nonprofit that is exploring working with a contract grant writer like yourself, um, obviously fit and personality and matching that way is important. What are some of the other factors that organizations should look for? Well, I, I think that, uh, I think in an ideal situation that your organization is going to grow its capacity to have an in-house grant writer, uh, you know, somebody who's there who can experience the programs and sort of, you know, be responsive to the messaging. Um, but some organizations that's just not, uh, that's just, they're just not there yet. Um, or they just have different needs. Um, and, and so then, you know, we'll come in and help. And uh, we, like I said, that's why we become part of their team. Um, remind me of the question again. <laughs> <laughs> so for nonprofit organizations that are considering working with a, uh, grant writer like yourself, um, Aside from personality fit and match that way, what are some of the other factors that they should be looking for? You know? Oh, they really should think about uh, how the, they need to be mindful about how that grant writer is asking for compensation. That uh, it's very, very common for the novice fundraiser to think that you can hire somebody on, um, on uh, as a commission, on a commission basis or, um, what is it? What is the other way? Contingency, you know, a contingent basis. I, I charge an hourly or project rate for my work. Um, in fundraising, it's, it's considered unethical to, um, you know, commission-based fundraising is unethical. It kind of, it skews the charitable intent. Um, when you think about, uh, when you think about um, commission-based work i mean it's very common in the for-profit for space uh, you know it's like sales and but that's about personal gain you know to get that commission is about personal gain and that is completely diabolically opposite from charitable intent. Yes. And so yes. it, it really does skew that charitable intent and so it's so they really if if a grant writer is offering to write grants on a commission basis run <laughs> That's what I would say. So I think one of the um, one of the other questions that I hear from nonprofit leaders as they evaluate working with someone is um, how can I be sure that that person is going to understand my mission, my organization, the same way I do? And I know that that's part of your process. Um, and you mentioned being part of the team and feeling part of the team. How do you go about? Um, how do you go about achieving that? How do you go about learning about their programs um, and really being so tightly connected that you can write um, on behalf of the organization? When, yeah, especially when you're remote. Like, yeah, that's, uh, 
that's definitely a con. As a grant writer, uh, writing grants for organizations remotely, um, I have to find ways to continually dip myself in the work of the organization. Um, and, uh, oh my gosh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, oh, okay. So just, you know, building that relationship with nonprofits, particularly when you're not there in the office with them each day. I had something brilliant I was going to say, and I totally lost it. It'll come um, back to you. It always, <laughs> it always does. Um, but, I, you know, again, I think you're right. I think that developing that relationship between the grant writer and the nonprofit executive is key because you are, um, when, particularly when you're writing something on their behalf, you're representing the mission. You're representing um, those leaders that are on the ground doing it every day. Yeah, my brain was running too fast. I, I, so what we do, here's what we do. We have a need list. We, we send a need list to the charity and we have them send us, you know, everything they've got. We, uh, you know, we will review their website. We will review all their old grants. We will review, you know, meeting minutes if they want us to, you know, we'll, we'll review all of their, the, the documents and content that they have already and we try to get a sense of who they are. And oftentimes there's unanswered, there's, there's most often there's unanswered questions, especially if they've never had a case for support. If they've never flushed out their messaging like that, there's always just questions. And so we come in and I'll, we'll do almost interviews with them. And, you know, so tell me about this and how about that? And oftentimes, uh, nonprofit leaders, there's, they do so much and they take it, they take it for granted all that they're doing every day. And so we sort of tease that out and we, we go at it. Like we know what grant makers want. We know what donors want and we're trying to get those answers from them. And the value that we bring is that we're, we're objective. We, you know, we don't yeah. know. And so we're fresh eyes and so we can ask those really basic questions and pull out those details and then we're skilled enough to sort of get them on paper and sort of you know flush them out so that they so that they resonate that they that the language sort of resonates and it pops these messages can pop on the page so in my experience i think you know the case for support is obviously critical, um, but it's also vitally important to find the right grant maker for that particular organization. And that fit between funder and nonprofit is really important. How do you as a grant writer um, help an organization find those prospects, find those foundations that might be a good fit for them? So with that, it's really about understanding a few truths of fundraising. Uh, one of the truths is that people give where they live. That is, you know, a prevailing truth that you have to sort of understand that. You have to understand that people align with, with a charity, uh, with their heart, with it's a passion decision. It's, uh, and so understanding that is really key. Um, and then, you know, know thy donor is, I say, is the first commandment of fundraising. And you just have to go where they are and understand, understand who they are and why, why they want to come to the table. There are certain characteristics of, like, say, how foundations behave versus corporations versus individuals. 
Um, and like say, for example, corporations, they are interested most often in co-branding with you. So since they're interested in that, they're interested in the good mojo of your brand and combining that with their own. Um, sometimes the owner has alignment because they had a personal experience with the cause area or whatever. So that's not somehow, sometimes how they choose it. But oftentimes they're looking for that co-branding. So when, you know, you always ask them, how do they like to partner? But um, if, if, that's, if that's the case for them, you're going to think about how, if they're sponsoring your event, how are you helping them get their name out also? So, you know, tell them how many people will be attending, how many people will see their logo, how many people, how many followers do you have on Facebook that's going to see that ad with their logo? You know, so sharing those things, that reach of, of that is, is important. So I think, um, you know, knowing thy donor and knowing the truths can help you sort of prioritize your sources. Um, you know, the other thing is, is 80% of your donors, um, or no, let, let me say that again. So 20% of your donors contribute 80% of your funding. And so that can help you figure out how to prioritize your time as well. So one of the other questions that I hear often from nonprofits is there are so many philanthropic foundations out there. So we all know of the, of the big name ones, but within any community, like you said, locally, there can be a number of family foundations, small private foundations. Um, how do you, how do you go about helping an organization uncover all of those um, sort of hidden foundations that they might not otherwise have a relationship with? Is there a, is there a search process or a connection process that you like? Yeah, so when I go out and I do prospect search, I'll do sort of an initial search. I'll use uh, some of the major tools out there, the Foundation Center, uh, GuideStar, um, GrantStation, and you can use filters to sort of pull in, you know, a bunch of sources. And I usually like to I like to come up with a list of 25 because if once you get beyond 25, your brain just like, you just want to go take a nap. It's just, <laughs> you don't do anything with it. It just gets too much. And so if I can get 25 solid sources that are in alignment with the charity, um, that's, that's what I usually aim for. But then, you know, you do that initial search and then you have to dive a little bit deeper. So in that list, you, you know, if there's a local foundation, local, I'm always going to prioritize that higher. If they are local and they are in the community that you're impacting, that goes right to the top of the list. If you've got a connector, that is, you know, way at the top. If they're a local connect, if they have a local presence and you have a connector, that's boom, those, that's the lowest hanging fruit for you. <laughs> and so, uh, to figure out those sort of smaller organizations, because some of those might end up in that list, I usually will dive into the details and go onto GuideStar and pull their 990. Um, the 990 is, a, there's a lot of really helpful information in it. Uh, it's a tax document, it's ugly, but it's it, it will tell you uh, what their assets are. And so, you know, that five, you have to give away 5% a year. And so that kind of gives you an idea of their capacity. It has the list of their board members. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, you can lift those board members from there. This is a better technique to, to do this with your board. I've, I've, I've seen it done where you, okay, who knows anybody in these organizations? And okay. like, you just hear crickets. Nobody knows. Yes. Anybody. <laughs> right. 
But yeah. then you dive into the 990, you lift those board members and you create a list of those and say, okay, who knows any of these folks? They're in our community. And sometimes you'll get like, oh, I know Bob. He worked with me and blah, blah, blah. And then they can help facilitate an introduction. And, and that's how you can get uh, presence with those more obscure foundations who are just have little, you know, they have a website and they, but they, they do come up on these lists and they're, they're in your community. That's, that's how I, we go about it. And Janiel, before we wrap up, I think the one of the last questions um, that I get fairly often from organizations, particularly as they're as they're thinking about ramping up their grants, is how can I how can I understand the return on investment of either hiring a grant writer or contracting that out, and how can I explain that and share that to my board? So when you when you think about the return on investment of the services that you provide. Um, how do you, how does that typically get measured or how do you communicate that to organizations? Well, I, I think that, you know, the return on investment is, well, first of all, you have to acknowledge that fundraising is an investment that you have to sort of invest <laughs> in it. Um, and with grants, grants and major gifts has definitely the lowest cost per dollar raise. So, so you look at the dollars that you're, are coming in and the cost that, you're you're paying for your writer or for your fundraiser and and that's where you're going to determine your return um and and with grants it really is is big i mean i'm i mean when you look at i think in the last few years i've brought in about close to 30 million dollars and you know i'm make i'm paying myself peanuts <laughs> compared to that you know i mean it's yes. like yeah yeah <laughs> so it it really that's how i that's how i uh, that's how I calculate the return. Well, Janelle, I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. I know our listeners learned a great deal. Um, but for those who want to dive a little bit deeper and learn a little bit more about what you do or about the contract grant writing world, um, maybe if you could just share um, your website and contact information for folks who want to get in touch with you directly. Yes, I'd love to. I'd love to hear from from your from your listeners. Uh, you can reach me at my website at affordablefundraising.com uh, or you can email me at Janelle, J-A-N-E-A-L at affordablefundraising.com. Wonderful. Janelle, thank you again for your time. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time and have enjoyed the conversation. Thanks. It's been great. As we wrap up, I know the fall is approaching and autumn tends to be the time um, when a lot of nonprofit organizations begin thinking about their annual board retreats and staff retreats. Um, for those who are interested in discussing those a little bit more, I encourage you to visit my website at www.nielsenconsults.com, particularly if you are looking for a consultant, looking for a facilitator, I would love to have that conversation with you. My email address is Gregory at nielsenconsults.com, N-I-E-L-S-E-N, consults.com. Janiel, thank you again. Have a great day. Thank you.